0: You can find it on the PropG pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Welcome to Bears Over Piers. I'm Jeff Berkus, the writer for Windy City Gridiron, and I'm joined, as always, by DJ Snyder. EJ.
2: Andy Dalton? <laughs> uh, you know, every time is a flat circle. We said it was a good idea last year, and maybe they just listened to an old podcast and thought it was new, and they did it this year. So, I don't know, 50-50, flip of a coin.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I, I do remember a lot of people coming at us by saying Andy Dalton, and it's like, well, Andy Dalton for cheap on the free agent market is a lot better than trading for Nick Foles. But, hey, what are you going to do? We're going to get into that quarterback talk in the second half of the show. We will do some other stuff first, but of course, we need a beer if we're going to talk about Andy Dalton. We need a beer. So, what do you got today?
2: oh uh, I have got uh from Western Red Brewing in Paulsbow Washington, Mainline Red. It is a red ale. 5 two, 4% by volume IBUs of 26. So this is in your roundhouse. You could do this. Um, there's a little thing on the can says there is nothing better at the end of a day of a hard work at a sawmill than a truly good beer. <laughs> so, and they've got a little, uh, sawmill graphic on the can. Uh, Paul's bow was a, was a lumber town among other things, but, um, no love red ales. And, uh, this is my last one of six packs. So
1: I am well aware that it's pretty good, but what do you have? So, you brought on a red ale for Andy Dalton signing. Uh, red
2: Rifle or yep. Seeing Red about the Bears' quarterback choices. I couldn't quite decide, but it seemed to kind of do double duty.
1: Fair enough. I had a similar thought. Um, I'm bringing on a beer called Strawberry Short Cat. <laughs> uh, and it has a cat on the oh, front of it man. Uh, with a, I don't know, pink hat. So, it's a sour beer. Uh, flavored with strawberries, it's called a dessert sour, um, in honor of the redhead Andy Dalton, Strawberry Shortcat. Let's get into it.
2: And and I've heard they're trying to rebrand him from uh, the Red Rifle to uh, just AD. Eh, you know they just okay. want to, they, He's all grown up now. They they want him to have a grown up nickname, just AD, and it makes you that's, feel less bad about
1: it, kind of. That's also uh all day or Adrian Peterson's you know he, he had those initials uh when he was at his prime so I'm mean, not that's not working for me.
2: Oh I didn't say I was on board. I just said I'd heard it's in the works. So anyways.
1: I you know it's it's okay. <laughs> You're Andy talking Dalton, about the nickname not the beer. The beer, beer. <laughs> it's okay. All right. It's okay. We want we normally ask this question at the end of the podcast, but We have been both individually working on some projects and figured, why not talk about them up front? Because if you don't stick with us the whole time, you might not know what's going on. So you and your other podcast partner, Brett Coleman, have been going crazy over at Bootleg. So I wanted to check in with Bootleg and what's going on over there.
2: Yeah, Bootleg is going great guns. Thanks for bringing it up. Uh, We are about to pass 10,000 subscribers on YouTube, which blows my mind. Uh, we've been at it just about a year. We just passed our one year anniversary and we are ramping up for the draft because we're both draft junkies and, uh, releasing about a podcast a week. We just dropped into our, um, draft focused guest series. Uh, and by the time this is out, that episode will have dropped. And we had Brandon Thorne on and Brandon Thorne, for those of you that don't know is, um, One of the foremost offensive line analyst experts out there. He works with OL Masterminds. Um, He works with Establish the Run. Uh, He has a Trench Warfare newsletter, which is amazing. I would definitely recommend subscribing. So we had Brandon on. It was fantastic. I love talking to really smart football people, and he qualifies. Um, So happy that he came on the pod. But we've got some other great guests lined up. We are, of course, going to be doing the three days of draft live stream again. Uh, we're trying to get a live stream Q&A in at the end of each week because everybody is just incredibly thirsty for draft this year. So it's going great, Guns. And then I'm guessing on some other podcasts around uh, those uh, requests are coming in fast and furious. So keep an eye on social media. Just follow me on Twitter and and I'll tell you about all those things. But, uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's a ton of work. We're, we're in the home stretch and um that's all really cool but i want you to talk about your thing because you dropped a a a good bomb this week and it it was really cool
1: yeah thank you i appreciate that so if you guys haven't read the piece yet please go check it out on windy city gridiron Uh, it's called brush strokes of genius and is the legacy and revival of chicago bears artwork and I kind of teased it on the podcast a couple times that I had some some ideas. This was one of them. Really cool story. I started collecting these old programs uh, and realizing that there was this really cool Bears art. It was all uh, illustrated by one guy. His name was Jerry Keefe. And I kept trying to find out information about this guy, and I just couldn't. There wasn't a story out there. It just didn't exist. And I was like, this guy has a real place in Chicago Bears history. So why isn't there a story about him? And so I just started digging, found his son, reached out to him and said, hey, I'm looking for the son of Jerry Keefe, the artist who did Chicago Bears work. And he's like, yeah, that's me. I was like, hey, you want to talk? So we we got on the phone and we, we started chatting. And he's like, oh, what's your interest? And you know, he's gauging my interest on this and that. And he figures out like, oh, I'm really into the Bears. And he goes, oh. So you know who George Hallis is, right? And I'm like, uh, yeah, I I know who George Hallis is. I still
2: remember when you told me that. Like, luckily, this is, I get a little bit of behind the scenes with this. Jeff doesn't share everything with me, but he definitely, he couldn't, he couldn't wait. He's like, you're not going to believe what happened. I was like, sure, go ahead, tell me. (laughs) He drops the, you know who George Hallis is, right? And I was like, holy, okay. Wow. So
1: so, it turns out that um, Jerry uh, uh, George Hallis was his godfather, and so they hit his dad, the artist, and and George Hallis were good friends and business partners, and they you know knew each other um, in Chicago at the time. And Jerry Keefe started drawing covers a couple of year, a couple per year over the course of about twenty years. Jerry, the younger Jerry, the guy that I talked to, grew up around the Chicago Bears, so he would have. Sid Luckman, there's a picture of Sid Luckman holding him as a baby. There's uh, these <laughs> these stories of like Harlan Hill, that he met Harlan Hill, you know, one of my personal favorites from Bears history, stories like that. And so, you know, we were talking about that. And then I, I got some good information about his dad. And as I'm writing up the story, I'm realizing just all the good work that the Bears are doing in the modern day. And that includes Israel Adonijah, who has done a lot of really cool stuff with programs with uh, the superhero theme the monsters of the midway comic that he came up with and so i reached out to his administrative assistant at athletic comics and we got an interview set up and i talked to um, israel for a a better part of an hour it was a really great conversation he was just incredibly nice he just he got really into seeing all the art so he was commenting on the old art he was telling me about what he did and tying it to the future, he's got he had he was very thoughtful. Had some incredible quotes in there. And then I reached out to one of the local artists that developed one of the digital program covers for 2020. Uh, her name's Kate Lewis, and she's done a lot of really cool stuff around Chicago. She's done murals on the side of buildings, inside of the United Center. Um, she just came out with a partnership with the Chicago Cubs, where she designed some T-shirts and she designed these prints that were really cool, and they sold out in five hours. So unfortunately, the prints aren't available anymore, but uh, she was really nice. And, and she actually had no idea that the Bears had this history of art programs in the past. And so when she got to see these programs, she just was like, oh, this is so cool. I, I Now I really feel connected to the past here. Let, I'm, I'm part of something bigger. And that kind of became the, the theme of the story was that there's this through uh, piece uh, throughout the history of the Chicago Bears where you have these different artists that are trying to tell their story about their love for the city, their love for the team and doing it in their own style. And what we're left with are these really cool pieces of art um, that are collectible or they're just really neat to look at. And so um, that's the, you know, that's the gist of the story. It's, you know, it's, it, it's probably the best thing that I've done for WCG at this point. And I'm, I'm really proud of it. You know, it, it would mean a lot to me if you guys went on and checked it out you should be it's
2: it started out as one thing and as all good stories do when you really dig into them put your teeth into it it became something else entirely and it was just really cool to watch that process and so cool to be able to see you launch that at the end and and the way those threads were tied together just well done super proud of it's awesome work
1: thank you man i appreciate it so uh yeah go check it out we'll uh, get into football talk but wanted to give some time up front to talk about some cool projects. And and honestly, for those of you that have reached out between the last show and this show saying you're going through withdrawal or, or some variation of that, that's why <laughs> EJ's yeah. been in the film room and I've been, uh, I've been writing, you know, we, we do, we do that as well. So um, thanks for your patience and we're, we're happy to get back on the mic. So, a lot has happened since we last talked. We we previewed free agency with Brad and free agency has basically happened. There's obviously some moves that will be made at some point, but most of the moves in free agency, honestly, are probably made after the draft happens. Right now, a lot of the focus is now shifted back to the draft. So maybe some of these veterans are going to sign deals before the draft because they feel you know uh, pressure to be able to get in before a rookie is drafted in the spot that they might compete for but for the most part things are dying down now and so it's a good time for us to kind of take a look back and see what happened and and I I think that Kyle Fuller deserves our respect to talk about him first Uh, Kyle Fuller has meant a lot to this team he's a very uh, quiet guy he doesn't have a social media presence he's not someone who's ever you know wanted the camera pointed at him or anything and, and so he's he's maybe a, a quiet departure in in his own way but he is a very loud departure in that he is an excellent player playing a premium position who got cut for the only reason <laughs> that he got cut was because Ryan Pace did a very poor job of managing this cap and it is the absolute definition of a cap casualty. And we can get into some of the reasons why this happened or how the, this happened in terms of the bloated back-end deal uh, forcing Pace's hand, if you want to, for some reason, want to say it that way. But Pace is the one that allowed Green Bay to assign him to that offer sheet that uh, Chicago then matched. And he didn't do anything over the last year to work out an extension and so he cut his cornerback one who was signed uh, I don't know 28 minutes after he hit the open market by Uncle Vic over in Denver because of course he was he had plenty of suitors and Denver was going to be at the front of the line and if he gets to go back and play with Vic Fangio so I wanted to talk about Fuller and I want to talk about his place in history but what was your reaction when this happened and, and where are you at with losing Kyle Fuller (laughs)
2: Oh, uh, my reaction when it happened was not good. I try and hold those things in because a lot of things look very different in hindsight. But we saw this one coming. Uh, We had a lot of conversations about this. We had a lot of conversations about what the Bears could do alternately. Uh, We talked with Brad about ways that the, the cap could be worked fairly easily. These were not crazy machinations to you know put a million void years on you could have extended kyle fuller for a very reasonable cost given his level of play and his premium position and done it without a lot of heartache like it it just didn't need to be that so we saw this coming there was writing on the wall people were saying oh they got to cut kyle fuller and we were both pounding the table saying no that creates a, a huge hole We know you've spent too much on defense. That's fine. You can trim the rest of the defense. You can do other things, but if you make yourself this hole, it's not solving any issues and it's driving a player that is exactly what you want out of town. That is somebody that's performed at a very high level, been consistent, been quiet, been a worker, been a leader, been in the film room, uh, you know, and is just someone that has tied that secondary together. And I can, only imagine that Sean Desai is not very pleased that, uh, you know, in his first year as DC, after all the years he spent with the secondary, that you took arguably the primary piece of that unit and said, eh, we can't afford it, which is absolutely not true. That's the piece that I really think I want everybody to know is everybody says, oh, it's a cap casualty. He had to be cut. And the answer is no, he absolutely did not have to be cut. There were so many ways to massage this money. And you cut him anyways, and that tells me you kind of didn't want him around or or whatever else. But I was tremendously sad. My relationship with Kyle Fuller as a player, as a guy I scouted, he was the first Bears draft pick in in quite a while after I started scouting that I called and that I really liked. And I remember sitting there on draft night going, oh my God, they actually did it. Like, I really like this guy. Like, I think he's going to be great in this defense. And, you know, with a couple of hiccups, he really was for his entire tenure. And you're right. He deserves our respect.
1: You know, there was some stuff that came out. I am sure that it was leaked from his camp that the Bears approached him and asked him to take a pay cut. They wanted him to take half of what he was making to stay on the team. <laughs> I was going to say, that, not
2: just a pay cut.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, 50%. Yeah, and, and that's, that's to me, that was like, that would have been really insulting you know he's still performing at a high level and so even in the situation that ryan pace was in which again he, he painted himself into that corner but even the situation he was in he did not play this very well going to him and asking him to take a pay cut is really ridiculous when you, you could extended him and made that that cap hit in 2021 quite low but you played this so poorly that now you have uh, you know an angry Kyle Fuller who doesn't want to play play you know the contract game with you anymore. And so now he's not going to be willing to work with you because you can't automatically just say add void years onto the contract and 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 spread this out on its own. He has to sign. So now you've made him angry and he doesn't want to play for Chicago anymore. And so he is going to say, no, you're either going to pay me the contract that I signed or release me. So Pace goes and tries to trade that contract. Well, Denver's like, eh, we'll wait for him, right? And these other teams are like, no, we're not going to step in. Like, we're not going to give you anything for this. And so they have to cut him. So they cut a cornerback one who then goes out and immediately signs with Denver. You get no value out of that. Like, this is not a player that has now left your building and signed a contract and then is in, in the comp formula. No, that doesn't happen. He didn't complete his contract. So because you cut him, you got zero value out of your cornerback one. One of the best cornerbacks in the entire league, you got zero value out of. And that is a consequence of all of these other crappy moves that you have made over the course of a a few years, including trading for Nick Foles and signing him to $20 million and having then to go out and make... You know, paper over that mistake with a new quarterback and uh, handing a lot of money to Robert Quinn and not being able to do anything with that. These are the consequences. You know, your actions have consequences. And the thing that I think is more than losing the player, which, no, not more than losing the player. That's number one. But number two, what message does this send this locker room? This was a place that it seemed like guys wanted to come and play, you know, over the last few years. I think that's gone. I don't think that you can cut a player like Kyle Fuller in a couple of days into free agency. Yes, he found a landing spot right away and he was fine, but that was doing him dirty. Like, that was a bad deal to wait until after free agency started to let him go onto the market. Like, th- this is not good. This is not good for the locker room. Pace gets an F minus for what this was.
2: Yeah, this is a team building sin. You have an asset that obviously has value. Um, A lot of people said other assets had value. They went out on the market and signed low deals or are still available. Those assets did not have value. Kyle Fuller, that's not the case. Like, he had a line of people waiting. If he didn't sign in Denver, he was going to sign in LA. Like, Brandon Staley was right behind Vic going, Vic, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt, but if (laughs) you try and lowball him, I'm taking him because I could use him. I know how good he is. That's a position of need for us absolutely valued under 30 years old plays a premium position has been an all pro in the past has been a pro bowler like still playing at a high level not dropping off not injured not a locker room problem and yeah you not people say oh well it's no big deal because he got another deal ah that's you're completely missing the point if that's your take which is you waited in the worst free agency period in modern history. There's no money. The cap dropped for the first time in forever. You waited a week and all these factors are already in place. You knew what your cap looked like months ago you knew that you wanted to try and reprioritize the offense because it was so terrible last year you knew you needed to shift funds you knew who was aging out none of this was new it's not like a whole bunch of new information got dropped on pace and then he went oh and panicked and said oh you need to take a pay cut no he waited a week said i'm gonna cut your salary by 50 percent the player who rightly had every reason to say no says forget it and then he's like, well, I'm going to have to cut you for financial reasons. No, mm-hmm. no, 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 and no. And yeah, the, the biggest sin here is you get nothing for him. You know, not even a comp pick. You don't get a draft pick. You don't get a player. You don't get a comp pick. You get zero and a bunch of bad will from all the players that go, man, Kyle was the man. Like he put time in. He played his position well. He supported the team. He never mouthed off. And they told him to take a 50% pay cut and then they kicked him out the door for nothing. What happens to me like I'm not as I'm not as valuable as he is and that's what they do to him? That's absolutely inexcusable on so many levels. I just, I saw a lot of people that came at me and said, no, man, it's no big deal. It's buyer's market. Nothing's guaranteed. Like just all the wrong stuff. And I'm like, you're looking at this from the wrong angle. If you're, if you're a pace apologist, that's one thing you can be that. But everybody else, agents, players, other teams are looking at this going, huh, that was bungled.
1: (laughs) I think that so often a lot of people, and I'm not. I'm not picking on people, or if you're listening, this is how you think, and don't take it personally, but I I think there's one way to view this on paper and say, you know, cold-hearted, like, I can make the numbers work by doing X, Y, and Z. That's one thing, and that is understandable, and, you know, we have friends that you know, we're going to get to Cairo Santos at some point, And you're going to say, never sign a kicker. Just get whoever you can off the street, pay a minimum, and, you know, don't don't draft a kicker. Don't You know what? We're not those people. If a guy's performing in Soldier Field, we like to pay him, right? And when you're building a team and a culture and, and all that kind of stuff, there are guys that you're going after because they're good for the locker room. They teach your younger players. They, sh- they, they do it the right way. They're putting in the work. That's Kyle Fuller. Like that is Kyle Fuller through and through. He has done absolutely everything that you want in a professional football player. And to do the exact opposite of how you should treat him is going to lose a lot of goodwill immediately and down the road for for Ryan Pace's tenure. I think that we are seeing this play out exactly how we thought it would <laughs> in terms of Ryan Pace Having another year to try to correct this, and no one is interested. And so I want I want to shift to Kyle Fuller's place in history. This isn't necessarily something that EJ is into that much, but from my perspective, as a guy that's doing a lot of history stuff, I think Kyle Fuller is a top 100 bear of all time. And I think that we, you know we did that top 100 players uh, before the 100th season, and I went back and looked at that list. And it's interesting, there's not a great cornerback history in the Chicago Bears. The early days, you know, like, I mean, how much was Red Grange in the 1920s in his great cornerback play? Like, uh, I mean, sure, like, you know, he's, they talk about it in the history books that he was good on defense, but you know, I don't really know how much passing you really had <laughs> in those days uh, to really talk about it that way. George McAfee in the 40s, people talk about him being a good corner, but he was also this like kind of Mr. Everything. He was a kick returner, punt returner. You know, he's a... He, uh, uh, running back, back out of the backfield. Like, he's just kind of like a football player, right? So you have to get kind of past, you know, get into the Super Bowl era. And once you get there, it's Charles Tillman, number one. Yeah, number one with a bullet. There's no doubt that Tillman's the best cornerback of all time in in Chicago Bears history. And then you go down from there, and it's like, well, it's either Kyle Fuller or it's Donnell Wolford. Now, Wolford was the best corner uh, or the best player on that defense, but it was a bad team. Those were bad teams that Donald Wolford played for. He actually made a Pro Bowl on a bad team, which is pretty impressive because then there's a long stretch where the Bears didn't have a Pro Bowler ever. But Donald Wolford was a really good player. Played, I think, at, at least one more season than Kyle Fuller did. Uh, but Kyle Fuller's peak was higher. Uh, Kyle Fuller had an All-Pro. He had another Pro Bowl on top of that. He played at, at, a, at a peak level on a really good defense that was a very successful team. And so in my opinion, those two are very interesting to compare against each other in terms of Bears all-time. I would put Kyle Fuller ahead of Donnell Wolford, um, but I think that those two probably reside in the same neighborhood. And so this is a guy that probably if he was able to uh, play out the rest of his career in Chicago, we would be talking about him more like a top 50 player, uh, but he's probably going to hang somewhere down in like the 60 to seventy range. Um, but again, incredible career. Thank you, Kyle Fuller, for everything you did.
2: Yeah, I love Kyle Fuller. Uh, I will miss him. He was a hard-nosed player. One of my favorite things about Kyle Fuller was how physical he was. It's one of the things that stood out when I scouted him at Virginia Tech. He played special teams for them. He will hit you off the corner, and I'm, I'm partial to that. I am partial to corners that come up and support the edge. I think it's a necessary part of defense, especially against spread offenses and so many, you know, tunnel screens and getting the ball to the outside. You got to have corners who will come up and make contact. And that was Kyle Fuller in a nutshell. He was very comfortable going backwards and defending against the pass, had a very distinct style of playing defense, um, but was very good, was a technician at that style and, uh, you know, would come up and smack you in the mouth at the same time. So I will miss Kyle Fuller and his contributions to the Bears.
1: So the Bears went out and they signed Desmond Trufant to replace Kyle Fuller. And Trufant's a guy that's got all the talent in the world, but obviously has been beat up a little bit in the last couple of years. Um, Haven't really heard much of Desmond Trufant lately. But you know a little bit more about him because he played in your backyard. So I'm going to let you tell us what we can expect out of Desmond Trufant.
2: Yeah, the Trufant brothers grew up in Tacoma, Washington. Uh, when I lived there, all three of them went to Wilson High School, which is in the premier football league of uh, that's in Tacoma uh, in the state. And um, so Marcus was the first, uh, went to UW, got drafted, Desmond, Went to Wilson, followed in his footsteps in high school, but then went to Washington State, of course, the big rival to Washington. So the Apple Cup on either side. And they have a younger brother, Isaiah, who also plays football semi pro, uh, but was also a Wilson High School graduate. So that was like a mile from my house. Um, And, you know, they were, they're pretty famous family locally. Their mom's really involved civically. uh Marcus when he was first drafted ran a bowling tournament uh where he'd bring all the Seahawks down and you know uh you know people would go and it was a big charity thing so uh, I I know these guys not personally but certainly have followed them since a young age and and like you said Desmond's got a ton of talent problem is yeah the last two or three years he has struggled to stay healthy play more than 50 percent of his games and he is uh you know, He is extremely talented, but at this point in his career, it's about whether he can stay on the field. And again, with the Bears just making a hole, puts a lot of pressure on him. Everybody says, oh, they're going to go get another one. Well, they probably are. They're probably going to draft one. But again, rookie corners, it's a tough adjustment. Um, Boundary is a little bit easier than slot because you can use the edge of the field and you don't have a two-way go on every route. But the idea that a rookie corner... Anything but the top probably three or four guys in this draft is going to come in, are going to come in and make a difference right off the crack. No, there's going to be some pressure on Desmond to stay healthy and be on the field. And he's struggled doing that. If he does, if he's one of those guys like Jason Verrett who injuries 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 and then he stays healthy we saw jason barrett be healthy last year and it was amazing because he's a very talented corner that would be ideal and i'm sure that's what everybody's hoping for it's what i'm hoping for because i would love to see him on the field and he would be an asset um a healthy desmond Trufant is a good player it's about whether he can stay on the field and again the depth you really need three boundary corners we've been saying this for two or three years now Everybody was like, oh, Kevin Tolliver's the third boundary corner. And we're like, <laughs> I don't want to put all my eggs in that basket. And sure enough, you didn't. They were very lucky last year. Jalen Johnson came on as a rookie. Again, very difficult. Played at an extremely high level, like a rookie of the year level, for the first half of the season. Um, stayed healthy right up until the end of the season. Reinjured that shoulder. But they basically kind of got away with it. They, they only really had two boundary corners. And they didn't get exposed for that. And unless they make another move in the draft, they're putting themselves in the same position.
1: Yeah, I think you have to believe that this now becomes a top priority in the draft. Now, I, I think we both believe that tackle is, is a top priority as well. From what I understand in the draft, and we'll have draft episodes, we're going to uh, lock you into some, some draft talk, but we'll, we'll preview that a little bit here. But from what I understand, the, the tackle class is a little bit deeper corner doesn't sound necessarily like it's as as deep as tackle so i can imagine that if you're looking at this board and those are the two positions that you absolutely want to go after you might be going for the corner in the first round and hoping that you get a guy in the second round at tackle that you can plug in
2: yeah you're not wrong um the i just started uh i didn't do any mock drafts this year until after the big series of miami trades the other day because that shook up the whole board that was i was fun. just really busy <laughs> it was i went for a walk funny story i went for a walk i took a 15 minute break to go outside go for a walk and i came back and i was like what anyways good times lots of fun there but no tackle class is extremely deep this year um the cornerback class, really, we need to talk about outside corners, not slot corners, because there's a, there's quite a few good, feisty, smaller slot corners, but the Bears, I mean, I, I would say the Bears need one of them too, but they're uh, easier to get in this draft, and if you really want those tall guys that are going to stand outside and take away number one or number two wide receivers, there's four right up near the top they're the big names. And then there are some candidates farther down, but of course those guys have warts one way or another. Um, and other teams are going to want them too. there's a quarter, uh, quarterback and cornerback are the same in that there's a huge thirst in the league. It's a passing league. And if you're going to have one, you're going to need the other. So the idea that you can just sort of say, Oh, we'll get one in the third round who again is a big guy that can start outside you're really, you're not looking for a needle in a haystack, but your odds aren't great. So yeah, in the first round, if one of those guys drops to 20, um, which may not happen, they may all, the big three could certainly be off the board by 20 uh you're going to be looking at again trying to salvage some value in the middle rounds and making sure you get one and of course the bears uh, middle round picks are, are they have a big gap in the middle of their draft picks this year so it'll be really interesting to see what they do there are options but they get pretty limited as soon as you get past that really thin crust at the top three four guys
1: yeah well that'll be something we dig into on the draft episodes but Bears also, uh, we we'll get into some other moves here, they also released Bobby Massey and Buster Screen. I called them like the, you know, the free square on the bingo card. Like we knew that those were coming. The third one that we all kind of talked about was Jimmy Graham. That seemed like a pretty obvious cut that they would take Jimmy Graham off of that payroll. But he's still there. And there's really only one explanation, but it requires some tinfoil.
2: Yeah, there is a tinfoil hat theory about Jimmy Graham being on the roster because he is tight with Russell Wilson. He spent time in Seattle. The two remain fairly close. And I know everybody is super tired of Russell Wilson talking. And honestly, we're pretty fatigued with it as well. But there is the small chance. And I do believe it is an extremely small chance at this point. There was there was a, a point in time where it was absolutely teetering. There was smoke and fire. Seahawks decided, nope. We're gonna run it back we're gonna keep pete we're gonna keep russ and we're just gonna we're gonna build uh but there was absolutely motion there the the hammer of thor was teetering a little bit for the mcu fans out there uh but it's it's pretty solidly i think where russell wilson stays in seattle now so the the tinfoil hat theory around graham is doesn't really feel like it holds a lot of water and if you're looking for any other reason yeah, he scored a bunch of touchdowns for the Bears last year, which I think surprised most of us given his performance in Green Bay in between Seattle and and Chicago. But if you look at those touchdowns, they weren't the kind that were really tilting games for the most part. A couple of them were, but a lot of them were, you know, late in the game, uh, Bears already losing. And yeah, he caught the touchdown, but uh, there weren't too many of those that felt like, wow, he really you know, he took it upon himself and did a Travis Kelsey thing there. No, he, he really didn't. So if they're leaning on those touchdowns as a reason
1: to retain him on the roster,
2: I just don't see it.
1: Yeah, it's like that last play in the playoff game where he scores that touchdown and just, like, runs Ran off, off the field. <laughs> and it was like that was the perfect encapsulation of that, that year. An absolutely meaningless touchdown, last play of the game. And Graham made a play. Like, that was a bad throw. Oh, yeah. Uh, and yeah. He, Graham made a play, which you know really embodies something else, but makes a play on it and then just runs off because he's they were all done with it. They're, you know, they're not going to have any of this. He's not gonna going get to get slimed in the in the end zone <laughs> in the Nickelodeon, you know. So anyway, I, yeah, I, I don't really understand why Jimmy Graham's still on the roster because he's not going to return the value of the contract that he that he would play under in twenty twenty one. And it does make sense that if he really is that close with Russell Wilson, and you're holding out hope that you can that that you can have a draft day trade with Seattle, because then that opens up the fourth year of the the trade capital, uh, so that you could tap into another year of trade capital to push it over the edge. That you know at least holds a little bit of interest. But if that doesn't happen, what are you going to do? Cut Jimmy Graham after the draft? Well, that's kind of crappy too. Like you don't really treat veterans that way. It's just so it's such a weird play that's happening right now and I don't understand it, but uh, we'll just move on cuz I, I actually don't really understand why <laughs> how he's still on the roster. So other bears that are re- returning, alan Robinson said he wasn't going to sign the franchise tag, but then like why would you? You can skip OTAs if you're not under contract, you know, and you can kind of do this thing where you dance. And then the wide receiver market wasn't very good and people are like well i don't know maybe he should sign the tag and then the bears brought in kenny galladay and he was like hey uh, by the way um check out your facts uh we uh we just uh we just sent over uh the signed contract for the franchise tag so alan robinson signed his franchise tag he will be playing for the bears uh in 2021 unless for some reason they decide to trade him maybe they get a long-term deal done and they can extend him out um i still think alan robinson probably doesn't want to do that until quarterback makes a little more sense maybe he hooks up with andy dalton and really likes andy dalton but who knows but alan robinson will return for another season in chicago we are alan robinson fans that is a good thing to have alan robinson on this team
2: yeah and the other reason he signed the tag is he couldn't be traded if he didn't sign the tag sure so at at any point he wanted to move and the financial security, because yes, the wide receiver free agent market was extremely soft. Um, Kenny Galladay, one of the few guys that got paid, uh, really, you know, what people thought they were worth or what the pre free agency estimations were around. So yeah, a little bit of, Oh, they brought in a high price free agent at my position. What are they doing? And Hey, I can't get moved out of here as a part of any deal if I don't sign my franchise tag yeah I better sign the franchise tag so he signed the franchise tag we both hope he he hangs around we also both hope that he gets a quarterback because the poor guy hasn't had a quarterback in his entire career and he really deserves one he's a tremendous receiver and you know Dalton is average he is good and with that big trio of Dallas wide receivers he looked pretty good in stretches last year you know was it consistency there no but he had A great wide receiving core in Dallas and he made that work uh on a not great Cowboys team so yeah I hold out a little bit of hope that Dalton Robinson established some chemistry and and we can see Robinson you know get some balls thrown to him that uh aren't hospital balls and he doesn't have to make contested catches for, you know, he gets, he gets the ball thrown to him when he's open and he is open a lot. He's a technician and a great route runner, also a great athlete. That would be fun. And I think good for him, but uh, I definitely do not hold any ill will against him for reserving judgment until that happens.
1: This won't make a lot of people happy, but Andy Dalton is the best quarterback that Alan Robinson will have played with. So it's a, yeah. you know, it's, he's not Facts great. Facts hurt. He's not Fat great, shirt. but you know he's he's going to be a professional quarterback that works hard, understands the game, understands how to get the ball in his hands. So, something that we were happy about, we already talked about it. Carlos Santos is back. He got a nice deal. It wasn't crazy money, but it was a good deal. We're both very happy about the security <laughs> that having a good kicker uh, that seemed to have Soldier Field figured out. Look, yes, kickers have variance. Um, I think that some people. I think some people see that the wrong way. I think that you have a smaller sample size of field goals and so some people might say, well, you know, god, he missed five kicks and it's like, yeah, that's really not enough sample size to say whether or not he's a good kicker. So some people freak out about the variation, but I think he showed enough in that one year that he was nails and that's good enough for me to sign him back up. He's passed his his injury issue. I'm I'm glad he's back. I'm not so happy about the Bears bringing Pat O'Donnell back. Uh, I think they, they could have thrown him back into the pool and, and and gone a different direction, but they opted for bringing that same trio back.
2: Yeah, I like the Santos move. We both do. Uh, yes, kickers have variance. Yes, you're paying him for his quote-unquote peak performance, but kicking at Soldier Field is not like kicking inside. There is a lot. There are many more variables at Soldier Field, and they are notably difficult to deal with, and if you find a guy that can kick well there, you pay him the money. I, for one, really enjoy not worrying about the kicker situation because we spent far too much time on it over the past two seasons before that. So happy with Santos. O'Donnell, you know, again, his contract isn't break the bank, but it is not impossible to bring in a couple of camp legs. uh Punters are typically not drafted. One, maybe two punters are drafted. Bring in a couple of UDFAs. Uh, primarily guys from australia who've gone to this punting school um have been setting the league on fire many of them kicking the nfl you bring in the next two <laughs> you let them duel it out and you sign whoever wins to a contract and that's you could do that for a lot cheaper than what they paid pat, pat I so i i'm not crazy with it but i again it's it's not a big enough deal to spend a lot of time on either
1: nope absolutely not couple other guys. Speed round that came back. James Vodders, which, okay, fine. Uh, Jermaine Effetti looks like maybe they're kind of penciling him in right now at the tackle role. That makes me a little nervous. Alex Barr is coming back. Um, you know, he deserves to come back. Artie Burns, who got hurt at the beginning of the year. We never saw anything about Artie Burns, but former first-rounder uh, uh, Steelers system, and so, you know, we'll see about that. Ryan Nall, I will never speak ill of an Oregon State Beaver. He's back in the fold. And then the safety special teamers, Deon, uh, Deion Bush and DeAndre Houston Carson are back in the fold, which, uh, okay. I have issue
2: with those guys. Yeah, Those two guys specifically, and this is just me being a roster nerd and, and team building. Deion Bush is, a lot of people have said, he's had some good preseasons and a lot of people said, ah, oh, he's a good player, he's a good player. Every time he goes out on the field, he basically does nothing. He is not effective. He is not an above replacement value player by any stretch. Now, Sean Desai knows him. He's worked with him. There is familiarity there. He does play special teams. He has value there. And DeAndre Houston Carson is a three, four phase special teamer and plays with a lot of heart there. But again, is not going to add anything to your base defense value. He's signed primarily for special teams i don't argue with the special teams side of it but the deion bush signing uh, you know they do have a hole at safety right now opposite eddie jackson and the safety market in free agency is flooded with great players still late in free agency right there are guys out there like carl joseph who are shopping around for a contract and at this point Again, this is the lowest money year in free agency in forever. Those guys are all going to be looking for one-year deals so that they go back on the market when the money is high. You're going to be able to sign guys like that for barely above veteran minimum. And if you're not telling me that Carl Joseph won't play special teams for you for one year and possibly start at strong safety and play better the Dion Bush, I'm saying you're nuts, and he's not the only option. There's a bunch of guys out there, and right. you have this weird little historical window where you could take advantage of that in team building and say, hey, I know you're a mercenary. It's no problem. Come on in. I'll give you one year of contract security. I'll let you go. You can go do whatever. Or if you play great, who knows? Maybe I'll resign you. But you have all these players available, all this talent, and instead you just go, ah, we're familiar with Dion Bush. He's He's super average. Let's bring him back. And I was just like, ah you know, churn that bottom of the roster, go right. take shots, look for guys that make a difference.
1: And this year at safety specifically, you got a ton of those. Yeah, he had an opportunity. The other guy that I should mention that's back is Mario Edwards Jr. We talked about him a little bit in that free agency preview pod that, you know, we we thought we'd bring back one of these defensive linemen that's what the Bears opted for. And yeah, he's going to miss a couple games because of the suspension, but he really did show out a little bit and so I'm I'm happy about that. The rest of the guys from that defensive line that we talked about, they signed somewhere else. And so that's Roy Robertson Harris signed a big contract in Jacksonville. They had to give away some money. So Roy Robertson Harris uh cashes in good for him. Uh Brent Urban goes down to Dallas. We were sad to see uh Brent and his wife, uh, Kate Go down to Dallas. She was great for Bears Twitter, but uh, he will take his air guitar skills down to Dallas. And then Barcavius Mingo goes to Atlanta, and he has played on a, a team like a different team for like seven straight years, and he's uh-huh. been in like six of the eight NFL divisions. It's kind of a amazing career track. And so those defensive linemen um, spread out. We got one of them back in the fold. Uh, the other three signed in. in three different places and then the last guy i'll mention that has a contract which (laughs) i still i don't know how if you were confused about jimmy graham i really want to know what adjective you're going to use about this guy rashad coward signed with pittsburgh and i don't know if pittsburgh is trying to get to punish big ben and get him to like really they're mad at him for coming back and not retiring and so they're just going to sign coward to like end his career i don't understand what pittsburgh's thinking but uh, i'm very happy for rashad to continue his dream that's all i'll say that's that's tremendous and the
2: internal assassin tinfoil hat thing is is fascinating <laughs> um yeah i i we, we wanted Roy Robertson Harris back, but I knew he wouldn't be coming back. At least I I thought I knew. And then I really knew because a little birdie whispered in my ear and I was like, ah, maybe. And they were like, Nope. And I was like, really? And they were like half the league called he's not coming back. And I was like, okay. And again, good for him. A uh, guy that, you know, worked super hard, has crazy physical skills, has looked really good, especially when surrounded by great talent. So it's going to be interesting to see how they build that defensive line in Jacksonville around him uh, when he's had to solo. It hasn't looked as good. Um, so I hope for his sake that they get some heavy hitters on that Jacksonville defensive line and, and that he gets to play at that high level because he can um, Brent Urban was just a great. Everybody says lunch bail guy, high effort guy. He's a guy that didn't miss his assignments, made a bunch of plays uh, each week when he was in. Yeah, they were the sort of more chalk plays that the plays you hope that a defensive sort of run stuffer makes. But he he made them and then some. I think he outperformed and Mingo surprised all of us a little bit. We we were like, look, he's been at a different stop every year for like six years. Like, what's he gonna do? And he he flashed as much as Edwards Jr. So. Uh, again, that earned him a contract in Atlanta, and and good luck to him. Maybe he
1: just really likes to collect jerseys. But <laughs> a couple guys that are just still out there, haven't signed anywhere. Cordell Patterson, who is a personal favorite. Would love to see him back, but I don't think that's going to happen. The Bears just don't have the money for it. Uh, Tayshon Gibson, we've already talked about the safety market. He's still out there fighting in that market as well. I will be disappointed if the Bears bring him back to, to fill that spot because there is so much more. Talent out there that can that can fill in and potentially be a difference maker. But again, you got to make the right pitch. You got to bring those guys in too. So we'll see if that happens. A um, couple guys that signed with the Bears that are new to us, and in, in addition to Desmond Trufant, Damian Williams, running back. Uh, you know Nagy knows him from the Chiefs. That's a really obvious fit. That's that's not a bad idea at all. Um, Angelo Blackson. I don't know much about him, um, but you were really excited about uh, Jeremiah at Ad- at Ad- Ochu at Ad- Ochu at Ad- yep, Ochu. Ad- Ochu. Yep. Tell me about it.
2: You're correct. Came out of Georgia Tech, um, in that sort of rangy edge mold. Uh, you know, if you want to think about, uh, Floyd jr. Right. Like a Leonard Floyd jr. Not as, not as highly ranked, but some of the same skills, uh, big frame, um, good speed, And I liked him coming out again as a guy that you were going to get in the fourth or fifth round. Could probably give you some value on special teams, be a backup situational kind of edge, learn into it. Went to Denver for a few years, was available in free agency. I wanted to sign him then just again to take a flyer because he was going to be pretty cheap, but he'd had a nice little surge at the end of his last season before he was eligible for free agency last year. They re signed him one year deal, he frees up he comes to the bears and again i think he can play that mingo like role right the role where he comes in plays a little bit going forward a little bit going backward you don't want him going backward too much but he's got great length so he's the kind of guy that can guard a tight end in the flat um i i just fascinated because i loved him coming out and you know i've wanted him to show his talents on the bears for a while and he's finally here and it'll be really interesting to see if he carves himself out of role or if he's just one of those guys that that doesn't contribute. But Damian Williams, I thought was a great signing as well. He opted out last year. Um, so in the running back world, that's a big deal. There's a year of mileage he didn't get. He is fresh. He is coming off a year of rest and played well in the spots where he did. But the Le'Veon Bell signing in Kansas City pretty much doomed his chance of playing time. Of course, they drafted Clyde edwards helaire He was kind of third man or maybe even fourth man on the totem pole was coming back from a year off, made sense, uh, that, you know, again, Nagy's got familiarity with him. They didn't really have a straight running back backup to Montgomery last year. They needed that. We all said that and I think he's a good one and they didn't, they didn't overpay. So I'm happy. They filled that slot. RB two really needed a sort of good veteran hand. And I think that's as, you know,
1: as good as you're going to get. Last guy, Christian Jones, formerly of the Bears, went to the Lions. He's back. Sure. Okay. Yeah, I'm very
2: neutral about Christian Jones. Uh, He was sort of ascending. A lot of Bears fans wanted him to be re-signed. He was signed to a division rival. He performed okay, but never really continued that ascent. Now, Detroit was was fairly messed up under Matt Patricia, especially on the defensive side, which is odd. But they never really got it going, so it's not – a super fair judge where Christian Jones is, but I'm not super excited and I'm not super bummed either. Again, they needed a backup behind Roquan and Danny. Uh, none of the other guys on the roster have really showed any reason to sort of stand out or say, Oh yeah, that, that guy's going to ascend into the third linebacker. And you know, Chicago, interestingly enough, has that <laughs> strong tradition of third linebackers, right? Uh-huh. The, the, going to Hunter Hill and and, you know, lots of other guys. Uh, that have been in that role and they don't have one right now so christian jones comes back again i'm not like yeah and i'm not like oh bummer i'm just kind of like hey they got a linebacker
1: and he and he plugs in cool yeah yeah so that that's that's it um except for the quarterback position because we wanted to just focus in on that after the break so stick with us
3: That might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N 29.com.
1: All right, EJ, let's dig into these quarterbacks. And I want to talk about The departed Mitchell Trubisky, who signed with the Buffalo Bills, and I remind me which one of us talked about Mitchell Trubisky signing with Buffalo and how that would be good to back up. Was it was that you or was that me? I I can't remember quite. It's foggy. Yeah, it's it's been a while. It's been a while. (laughs) No, I I feel it very good that I called that. You know, we talked about it a couple times on this podcast. I just I couldn't get it out of my head. That it would be really good for Buffalo. It would be really good for uh, Mitchell Trubisky. That relationship start. And I didn't think that he was going to go compete for a starting job. I just, you know, again, sorry for you guys that really loved him. That just wasn't where his where his stock was at. He needed to go somewhere, clean a lot of stuff up, try to learn and see, you know, if he can rebuild value. And honestly, sitting behind Josh Allen, a guy that. Overcame some similar issues that Trubisky had shown early in his career uh, that Josh Allen has overcome. Working with Brian Dayball, who is one of the best uh, play callers in the league right now, I think probably looked at Trubisky and said, I can fix that. That is the best-case scenario for Mitchell Trubisky. And so he goes there. I think it's a $2.5 million contract. There's some you know, bonus escalator stuff if he ends up playing and, and hits some things. And I, I think it tops out at four and a half. I had said he'll sign with Buffalo for three to five million. So again, I feel like I've nailed this about as much as you could. But sometimes you just you can just see it. And of course they have to see it too and they have to act and they have to do all those things. But this to me was absolutely the best thing for Mitchell Trubisky.
2: Yeah, there were not... I can't think of any situations better. I can think of some other good ones, but the Dable and Ken Dorsey combination, just having worked miracles, literally one year removed from working miracles with Josh Allen. And I don't say that in a backhanded compliment, what kind of way, what they did with Allen is historically unprecedented. No one has improved as much in a short period of time as Josh Allen. And you can look up the numbers. It's, it's not even close they took a guy with a very similar physical skill set and turned him into one of the league's top quarterbacks. So if you're Trubisky and Buffalo calls, you take the call. You say, whatever, I'll be there. Don't care what the money is. That is the best possible place for my professional development. I don't have the pressure of starting. I don't have the draft pick hanging over my head. I've got two guys that did exactly what needs to be done to me last year this is not ancient history and i'm gonna be in an offense that's loaded with playmakers has some tremendous designs in it uh flexes very well to opponents and is you know in position again to contend for a division title and then see what happens so really good setup i thought uh you know if they hadn't played the saints at the end of the year that Sean Payton might have taken a shot, given his given his uh, you know predilection for guys that can move. Uh, they they talked
1: about it. They talked about bringing him in as a QB three.
2: Yeah, I could see that, but I think Sean Payton got a look at him up close and went, uh-huh, yeah, uh, sure." Uh, okay there were some other places people had said Denver I know <laughs> back yeah, up Drew Locke no and I way. was like yeah but Vic Fangio's the coach he <laughs> watched that guy sink how many leads that his yeah. defense had protected like no he's not going to sign him but there were other places we talked about Frank Reich Frank Reich is a noted sort of disciplinarian on quarterback mechanics and rides them very hard and Trubisky needs that He needs that sort of consistency, so that was a possible spot, but they've already got a developmental guy that they drafted from Washington last year, so it seemed like okay, what are you going to do? Give up on Eason and, and replace him with Trubisky in that developmental role? Meh, probably not. So there weren't that many options. And I think that surprised a lot of people. A lot of people were like, oh, no, he's going to get one of the starting spots. And we were both like, I don't think so. And then everybody's like, well, he's going to be the best backup out there. And, and he was not the first signed or certainly the highest dollar signed. He did go to the best place. But the demand league-wide for Mitchell Trubisky was
1: uh, quite low. And here's another thing to think about. Josh Allen is a guy who runs the ball a lot. He takes hits. So, he's built, you know, he's he's built solidly and all that kind of stuff. But this is still the NFL. He could he could miss some time and Mitchell Trubisky could get a chance to play in this offense, which which would be great for him to have an opportunity to rebuild that value. You also he doesn't actually have to be on the field though. That's the thing. Is that he could impress in the practice field, in the film room, and all that kind of stuff. And if he impresses Brian Dayball to the point that he says, "Hey, I can, I can play with this guy. I can win with this guy," Brian Dayball is going to get a head coaching job next year. I mean, I, I would feel comfortable putting some money on that that he should have gotten one this year. Didn't happen. He's going to be a top candidate this year, assuming that he, yeah, you know, the, the Bills are as good as we think they're going to be. He 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 should get a job. And he might go to a place that doesn't have a quarterback, and he might say, "Hey, come with me, Mitch, and I'll at least, I I at least feel comfortable enough to start off this this path with you, right?" So he has opportunity now. It doesn't say that. I'm not saying that he's going to take advantage of them, right? Who knows? He has to obviously make those strides and do that. But from a situational standpoint i'm very happy for him because he's he seems like a good dude i wish him the best this is the best spot so i'm very happy
2: yeah in terms of continuing his career as a pro quarterback there's not a better stop for him right. and buffalo i have family history with buffalo it's a great town yeah if he works hard for them uh, you know and he worked hard in chicago too that was not really the issue he worked hard he said the right things he seemed like a good dude uh, he seems like a culture fit there from from spending a bunch of time in Buffalo. If he plays well, Bills Mafia will embrace him. They don't they don't care about Chicago. They, that's not their thing. It's are you going to be a Bill and are you going to work hard uh, and you know ultimately do your best that you can on the field. And if he does that, regardless of whether or not he delivers wins, they're going to want the wins. But
1: regardless of that, they're going to appreciate the effort. Absolutely. So. Uh, I want to talk about Wilson a little bit more, and that is, I think that you and I don't have in we don't have any connections. We don't have like league sources where you know we've cultivated over the years. Where we were a beat writer for we, that's not us. Like that, that's it, just plain and simple. We wrong, don't have. Sorry,
2: wrong podcast. We don't have inside
1: information, <laughs> yeah. right? But there was enough. Like, for some reason, I'm, I'm I'm usually very quick to like discount a lot of these kind of rumors and stuff. But for some reason, this Russell Wilson stuff felt like a possibility. Like, I wasn't dismissing it out of hand like I might have a year ago, right? Like, it felt a little different. And you're close in proximity where you live to the Seattle team. Wilson wanting to make a move to a big market kind of makes some sense. You know, Chicago and where they're at with everything may not make the most sense to people right off the top, but... I kind of believed that this might be a possibility, and I'm not ruling it out with the draft and open up that extra year of capital. I still think it's a long shot. But I also wonder if if it, if there is no movement this year, you've got Andy Dalton for one year, okay. Is this something that we could see next offseason? We certainly could. Um, as for this season, I think the chances, again,
2: like I said at the top of the podcast, have, have gone to very, very low, like 5% or less. Like yeah. it's possible... But it is a lunar long shot at this point. It's not going to happen. Seattle made their choice. They were teetering. Now, was it 50-50? Was it 60-40? I I don't think it got to the 50-50 point, but 60-40, yeah, John Schneider was considering it because Russell Wilson is not seeing eye to eye with Pete Carroll. And uh, Pete Carroll and John Schneider are in a unique position because their owner died, And the owner's sister has taken it over, but she is not a football person. And she basically said, look, John, Pete, run the show. I might sell the team, but until I do, while I own it, you're running the show. Because I'm not a football person. I'm not going to hire a football person to come in over you. You've had success. You've got a system. You make the call, which puts them in a very odd spot. Not many general managers, I don't think any other general managers, Or coaches, certainly, are in that spot with their team where they can go to the owner and say, what I say goes. And that's really the dynamic that's going on with the Hawks right now. So if you've got a quarterback that says, I don't like what this coach is doing, and it's, you know, Russell Wilson is not a super public guy uh, with stuff like that. But he's made it quite clear that he basically came in and said, I want to give my input. And they basically said, no. (laughs) Right. That's a rough way to treat an all pro quarterback because you look at, you know, you look at other quarterbacks around the league who are in a similar position the Aaron Rodgers of the world, the Tom Bradys of the world, like there's not, you know, the Drew Breeses of the world when he was still playing. There are not many guys like Russell Wilson. And if your quarterback comes to you and goes, Hey, been in the league like 10 years, won a Super Bowl, done a bunch of stuff, I'm really keeping your team afloat, which is absolutely the case with Seattle. Yeah. And you say, meh get in line he's going to start to chafe and he's at you know he's not at the end of his career by any stretch but it you know there's less ahead than there is you know behind and at some point he's going to say you know i think my ideas are pretty good i've got a few really good years left prime years left i would like to spend them in a place where i got to do a little bit more of what i want to do and we're not going to go back to caveman football at the end of the year And, you know, Pete is very set in his ways and he is going to do that. And it is his way or the highway, because again, he is in a position of power until he chooses to leave. And Schneider had both sides of the scale and went, okay, do I choose Pete? Pete and I keep this going. Do I jettison Pete, choose Wilson and do something else? Do I jettison Wilson, keep Pete, take all the assets and try and rebuild? Those were the options. And, you know, John Schneider's not dumb. He knows that if this doesn't work out, it's very possible that Russell Wilson leaves next year. So if he's going to leave next year and his value is not going to be as great, would you rather take whatever anybody's going to give you? And Chicago certainly had the most to offer. Russell Wilson notably has a no trade clause and mentioned Chicago by name. So that's when it became sort of really more of a thing. And Schneider absolutely considered it. He got together in Fargo with Ryan Pace at Trey Lance's Pro Day. And Ryan Pace, you know, arguably laid all his cards on the table and said, this is what we'll do. And Schneider said, we'll think about it. And they thought about it for a while, over a week, and then finally said, "Not, nah, it's not good enough. And most people say the kicking point was Seattle can't get a quarterback back, right? Right. 20's not going to get them up to a quarterback that'll start this year. They're not likely to be able to trade for another and, and nobody on the bears roster satisfies their needs. So they just can't get a quarterback. You give up the most important piece and you can't get it back with what you're getting in return. That's where most pundits kind of
1: said it doesn't pencil. So we'll leave it there for now. And the bears said, okay, we're not going to get Russell Wilson, at least at this point, so we have to go onto the market. we got to grab our guy. And that guy is Andy Dalton. One-year, $10 million deal. And they said, you're the guy. You're the starter. You're the man. And so Andy Dalton's the quarterback won for the Bears. Obviously that social media post got killed by everybody on Twitter. <laughs> but here's the thing about Dalton. Is he a great quarterback? No, obviously not. Is he a good quarterback? No, maybe at his best right but is he a guy that can successfully run an offense has shown success with someone who's in the building who's currently looks like he might be holding on to play calling duties or at least having play calling duties yes he worked with bill laser in cincinnati and had some of his best play under bill laser and so that's why we liked again dalton was not our first choice last year but again dalton on the open market last year was more attractive the Nick Foles. Now he's the guy. The thing about Dalton to like, he's a hard-working guy and he's got a ton of starting experience in a city that, quite frankly, like, I, I don't want to put down the Bengals organization, but that is not an organization that spends a lot of money. That really, they don't necessarily seem oriented toward putting the best product and pushing money into the field. And so... To judge him in his time in Cincinnati where he took that team to the playoffs and and, and judge him negatively, like he's garbage. Like, I no, that this is not a garbage player. This is a guy who's had some success in this league. No offense to us fellow Bear fans, but are we really in a position to judge quarterbacks this harshly? That have an actual resume like Andy Dalton's, I think that this is an okay guy and there's no future hurt here. It is a one year deal for $10 million, which is completely fine with me.
2: Yeah, the only real hate you can put on this is that, for you know, if you could have convinced him that he was competing for a starting job, which (laughs) ultimately kind of turns out to look like it was false with the start of last year. You arguably could have signed him for two years, $4 million a year, with up to $2 million in bonuses. You could have signed him on a two-year, basically $10 million deal, and he could have been the guy, not Foles, to take over last year when Trubisky struggled. Or, you know, arguably if he'd had a better camp, uh, and again, his familiarity with Bill Lazor would probably have helped with that in the whole COVID, uh, no camp, no preseason year. But, you know, that's not here or there. But he ends up signing with Dallas for a pittance. Now they sign him for $10 million for one. Uh, comes in as the clear starter. And he's solid middle third, right? He's not yeah. a top third quarterback. He's no. not a bottom third quarterback. You know, you give him enough weapons and protection. And, you know, you saw last year in Dallas that he can make a little noise. Is he going to drive games, right? This is the sort of, uh, you know, uh, daniel jeremiah and bucky brooks use the tractors and trailers right is he the guy pulling the team or is he the guy being pulled along by the team he's more of a trailer and that's fine because he's a pretty good trailer right if you give him enough protection and enough weapons he can he can make teams pay for that and we saw that in his in his prime years in cincinnati is he going to drive a team over the top from the quarterback position like Mahomes or Rodgers? No, no. If you're expecting that from Andy Dalton, yeah, you're going to be sorely disappointed. And if you're just purely disappointed that the Bears didn't get a guy, quote unquote, like that, well, join the club with about 20 other franchises around the NFL because they're pretty rare. They they just don't grow on trees. It's the best option out there for the Bears at this point. Now, you can say that this is a situation of their making. Yes, it is. But Going into the next year, I think that's totally reasonable, right? You know, you have Andy Dalton, he brings you some stability. You don't have to march Nick Foles out there and say, oh, he's the starter, because that <laughs> just wouldn't fly at this point. And, you know, Pace and Nagy ostensibly have one year to get this figured out. Um, that wouldn't work if you're
1: starting off with, and Nick Foles is going to lead us there. Dot, dot, dot. Well, let's talk about Foles because He's the other quarterback that's currently on this roster. He's still making a lot of money. And here's the thing about Nick Foles on this roster is like the Ryan Pace and and Matt Nagy, like they're not even thinking about him. I mean, because you could have conceivably seen them say like, hey, look, we made this move for Nick Foles like we believe in him things just didn't get off on the right foot with him last year COVID and they they could have gone down that road to like throw all the defense in the world behind Nick Foles and be like look it just all these factors contributed to just things just not really working out but we we really believe in him and we're gonna come back and yeah we're you know we're gonna look into bringing in somebody else to to work with him maybe draft a rookie or whatever like they could have gone down that road I'm not saying Bears fans would have bought it but but (laughs) Ryan Pace has done sillier stuff in his tenure right but they it's like he doesn't exist and and it's like I mean that all that stuff where he was talking to Chris Sims or whatever it was and he was saying hey you know Nagy's calling plays and when he calls them I know that they're not gonna work in the huddle and like we I'm I'm not gonna get enough time which to To me, everybody was like, oh, my God, he's throwing Nagy under the bus. And, you know, a lot of people were cheering, like, yeah, screw Nagy. And it's like, that's a bad thing. That is not a thing a leader does. But two, for me, as a former offensive lineman, I was like, he is throwing his offensive line under the bus. And I am sorry, but if your quarterback or your (laughs) running back starts (laughs) saying, like, you know, you guys need to – Man up and block more. Like I can't. I don't have any time to. Make, and it's like, oh, you didn't think you had time before? Wait until this play. Yeah, right. It's so I. I mean, like to me, I was a like, oh, that off that offensive line has to be pissed to hear that kind of stuff from Foals. And so I, I, I don't know the story. There was rumblings before the year that like maybe he was going to opt out. He had had. He had just had a kid. Um, and there was kind of this talk, like, yeah, oh, maybe Foles will take this opt-out opportunity and actually won't show up to the Bears. That might have got him off on the wrong foot. There was some again, we don't know these things for sure, but and, and I'm, this is I'm being very transparent, very much rumors here, but that he didn't really show up to camp early or anything like that. He wasn't putting in the time that you know they would have liked. Nagy had to start Trubisky. To begin the year, there's no way Matt Nagy wanted to start Trubisky to begin that year. So Nick Foles started really on the negative piece anyway, yeah. with uh, uh, you know on, on the wrong foot with with Nagy, and then he throws him under the bus with Sims. It, clearly, that's not to me. That's not a good leader as a quarterback anyway. Doing that kind of thing, so he's doing exactly the opposite stuff that you would expect a guy like Nick Foles to do. They're treating him like he's just got leprosy, right? Like he (laughs) like he is like not part of this team. And I find this whole like I want to know the backstory here of what is actually going on with Nick Foles in this team and why this is so ugly. Well, they're treating him like a kicker who went on Good Morning America.
2: Hmm. They have experience with that. Right. And you know, it was a very similar thing for him to come out and and look. Disagreements in high level athletics are super common, and you know you see the best quarterback and coach combinations go at it, yell on the sideline. Brady and Belichick famously go you know back and forth, harsh words between the both of them. But they figured it all out. This was not that. This is hey, I'm not performing, and I need to kind of CYA and say the reason i'm not performing is this other junk not the fact that i have the mobility of you know a park statue and that doesn't really work in the league anymore uh you know he's trying to maximize his value just like any other player but the bottom line is on the field he had some magical throws but you know his liabilities were on full display and teams took full advantage of them so after the first sort of Mm, two games two and a quarter games the the jig was up for nick Foles. he wasn't going to be winning a lot more games they had the book on him they knew that they could send rushers to his spot and that was going to basically defeat nick Foles. so it it is super odd they paid him all this money they gave up a draft pick they gave him contract security they threw a bunch of money at him and now he is furniture man he is so useless to them that yeah you could almost forget like i would not be at all surprised if somebody reached out to me there and said you know is full still on the roster like i'd i'd be like i i don't blame you for not knowing that he has been you know persona non grata incognito whatever and it's just very odd and people have asked me like what are they going to do with him and there was this talk of, oh, maybe they'll trade him. They were talking about a three way trades, which very rarely happened in the NFL. They were like, Maybe they'd send him to like Denver to back up Drew Locke or you know, and I was like, I got really hopeful. <laughs> I got really hopeful that the Bears would get bailed out by some crazy Hail Mary trade because there just isn't a path forward where Nick Foles does anything of value on this team. And some people say, "Well, that's what they said about him in Philadelphia, and he came in and won the Super Bowl at the end of the year." Like, yeah, but that's his claim to fame and that's his peak. Like that is his that is his ultimate level of play. And you can just, based on regression theory, say he's not likely to approach that again. There's very little chance at this advanced stage of his career with already having failed on the field with this team that he does anything of the sort and he's got this contract can't just cut him because that would stink but at this point it almost looks like they kind of have to because Mm. what is he gonna do like how could he come on and play well at this
1: point this is all right so he was terrible in jacksonville the bears gave up value for him i was shocked okay so he comes here, and, and I think most people listening to this would say, hey, look, Trubisky was better than Foles. And, like, look, if Trubisky was still bad, okay? But, yeah, he, he played better than Foles. They changed the offense, all that kind of stuff. We, we, we've got into that plenty. You just saw what the league valued Mitchell Trubisky at on the open market. Backup quarterback for $2.5 million. That's bare minimum money for a quarterback. So you think that Nick Foles has any trade value to pay him whatever the hell he's making? Like, you're nuts. There is no value The Bears would have to give up draft capital to get him off the books, which is what should have happened from Jacksonville, which we talked about in this podcast. That's where the Bears are at. Realize that's you're holding a negative asset. In Nick Foles on this roster and so to get him off you are going to have to pair it with something of value to to have somebody take that on that's what he is yeah it's incredibly rough and I
2: you know it may sound like we're heaping on Nick Foles uh, you I know, am we are we are a little <laughs> bit but you know as a person like I I would hope that he would go somewhere and play well but his skill set is really outdated in the fact that he is not mobile he is below not mobile he is one of the least mobile quarterbacks playing in the league today and the game has passed him by a bit there and his arm is in no way good enough to make up for that we saw joe flacco have a little burst last year with the jets and that's because he can still sling it like yeah, that yeah, was Canada. the success yeah. of that yeah He is not mobile either. Flacco is, you know, nobody's athlete at this stage in his career, but he's still got an arm and he made people pay with it. Foles never really had that and he's a statue. And there's just no place to put that on the field in the modern NFL. So you've got this Albatross contract. You've got this weird tension with the front office and presumably a lot of the rest of the team. And what you get is this, we're just not looking over there thing.
1: And it's really odd. It's just odd. It's so weird. I so want a 30-for-30 30 30 on this thing. but <laughs> all, right. all right, we'll leave it there. We'll talk about trade stuff uh, or draft pick stuff in the draft shows because I. it's really seeming unlikely that the Bears are going to be able to get up and get one of these top quarterbacks. Uh, with all of the movement that happened, it really does, to me, seem like we could be looking at A draft that starts off with four quarterbacks off the board right away and so it's not looking good for the bears to take it take a quarterback at the top so we might be talking about how that they bring in a young guy to maybe take a chance with their second pick or something like that because it just it's just not looking great but we will leave that for another episode Unless you want to give a, a, a teaser, but
2: no, tail, tails for another time. All but right. uh, I would say three quarterbacks at the top, and if the fourth one goes, I think it would be a trade. I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. no, I think be. that I think they'll trade out. Yeah, yeah, I don't think I don't think Atlanta goes for quarterback with Ryan and his contract status because they push money down the road and his cap hit's going to be like forty four million next year. So they're they're locked into Ryan uh but after kyle pitts is pro day today i think kyle pitts ends up a falcon and then it's really about the fifth pick on down so i would say three quarterbacks to start uh probably five in the first round you know do the bears get a chance to touch any of them not without a significant and costly trade-up and they really don't have the assets to do that right. so um and it would be you know, that would be a mac jones scenario or a trey lance scenario depending on if either of those guys slide farther than you think they might uh but that's yeah there's plenty of talk about that on another time but no nah, i wouldn't put a lot of a lot of money on the
1: bears getting a quarterback in the in the high part of the draft this year now you saw what it caused san francisco to go from nine to three so i um... Or 12, 12 to 3? 12 to 3. So yeah, 12 it, to 3. It, yeah, it, it was a crazy day for movement. And Anyway, it cost them an arm and a leg and, and part of their torso to move from 12 to 3. So if the Bears want to do something crazy like move into you know 20 to 8 or something like that, they're going to have to give up something similar. And I just uh, I don't see it. You know, you still got a couple quarterback-needy teams that are ahead of you that are maybe willing to make that move. And I just don't see how you're going to get one of those guys. But... We'll talk about it later. Uh, let's talk about the beers. Um, this thing is not – it's sour and it's sweet, and I like that to an extent with the the balance, but it's actually – they need something else, right? It's just too sweet. Huh. Uh, some of the better sours I think have like some of that sea salt or something like that in it to kind of give sure. it that. This, this is just too much sweet
2: all right well too much sweet out of a guy that likes you know peanut butter molasses yeah but that is, has
1: that has the balance of the malt this is, I, this I is just it.
2: kind of I pure sugar i'm just i'm just saying that's a thing no the red was fantastic uh really nice balance of uh just what you're talking about the it has that real malty flavor that many reds do but it balances out with a little bit of a sweetness again i would say the the maltiness yeast sort of holds that a little bit more so it's not in any way, sweet, but it does have a little bit of sort of caramel finish off the top, so it's not just all sort of overwhelming, you know, malty flavor getting on top of you. A nice balance for a red, not too much alcohol, very drinkable. Really, really enjoy it. Haven't had this particular brewery out of Paul's before, but uh, I will be looking for their other offerings. Uh, I went to a place that um, you probably have this experience, went to a place that I don't go to very often that had a tremendous beer selection. And I was just standing there kind of like oogling the, you know, the several cases and, and saying, oh, and so I, it was funny. I went to get like two small things because I was running an errand. I was actually in Tacoma, not too far from Desi Trufant's high school. And, uh, I, I had to come home with like three things and I came home with like three things and like six six packs of beer because i had either (laughs) never seen the brewery before or whatever so Ah, i got up to the got up to the cash register and the cashier was like oh something heavy and i was like oh boy this is gonna look bad i have like this little thing of salad and the two things i needed to pick up and then like six you know six packs of beer she was like oh i was like oh yeah i know that feeling well yes it's tremendous it's uh for us beer nerds it's it was a great day Uh, but no, I've been living off that for a while. I sort of stocked up the beer fridge with that and been happy with all the, all the ones I got, which is also cool. Uh, when you're taking chances on beer that you didn't get any (laughs) pineapple mango losers that you're not, you're not about. (laughs) It's just strawberry shortcut. Yeah. (laughs) Uh. (laughs) All right. Well, let's get ourselves out of here. Uh, so yeah. Follow us, uh, on Twitter. Jeff is at gridironborn. I am at the Draftsman FB. Uh, The other podcast is Bootleg Football Podcast. It's available on YouTube and anywhere else you get podcasts. And of course, all the stuff going on at WCG, uh, my colleague Jacob Infante, who is the lead draft analyst over there, has been tearing it up. Um, And all the other podcasts as well on Windy City Gridiron are also putting out tremendous content right now. So make sure that you are checking out that channel for all the new releases. And we will have more, like Jeff said, as we lead up to the draft with more of that focused content. But uh, until then, hang tight and bear down.